This morning we're going to be in 1 Samuel. I'm not, there's going to be a bunch of different verses. I'll be going different places because today's sermon is going to be more of a survey of someone's life than what I normally preach. I normally have just a, a section of Scripture and we look at that. The Lord's laid this message on my heart for a very important reason today. I'm not exactly sure who it's for, but I believe it's for someone in this room today. I believe it's a word that someone needs to hear. How many of you this morning would say that your life is a mess? Come on now. All right. I don't see enough hands. I, I need to know you're with me this morning. How many of you this morning, your, your house is a mess? You got a room somewhere you don't want nobody to see. Come on, let's just confess this morning. How about a drawer? Do you have a drawer somewhere you just don't want nobody to open? It's a mess. <laughs> Y'all know how that feels, right? And oftentimes, that drawer or that room or that house or your garage that you go, I, there is no way, Miss Melinda, we're opening our garage for anybody to look in because it is not a garage anymore. It is storage. Anybody here know what I'm talking about? Absolutely. <laughs> I like this. We got all kinds of confessing going on here this morning. That's, that, that's good for you. That's good for the soul. But you know, sometimes uh, life is a mess and it's, it's out of control. And I hope that you looked around and realized you're not by yourself today. Life can get out of control. It can become a mess. And oftentimes, it's not the mess that's at our house or in our garage or in the drawer that's a problem. It's the mess that's inside of us that becomes the problem. So you can have the cleanest house in the world and still be a mess inside. Not simply because there's bad things going on, but because inside there's something missing. There's something that is just stirring you. Something that is messing with you in a, on a level that you're going, something's not right and I don't know what it is. Well, I'm glad you're here today if you might be that someone who experiences that something. Because the question becomes, what could it be and what do I do about it? What do I do when I, it feels like my life is out of control, my life is a mess, and inside, more importantly, it's a mess and things are out of control? What do we do? Well, we're going to look at a gentleman by the name of Saul. Somebody say Saul. Make sure that I, I get it right today that we're talking about Saul. He actually is a man in 1 Samuel. He's one of the main characters. The book is actually named after a prophet or priest, if you will. His name is Samuel, and that's why it's called 1 Samuel. He is the one who will anoint the king. He is the one who, who goes from chapter 1 all the way through the end of the chapter, if you count him being in his mother's belly. Uh, in chapter 1, he is dedicated to the Lord, Samuel is, and then this book is named after him because of his vital role in the, the kingship of Israel. Now, as we look at Saul, many of us may know that Saul became the first king of Israel. Now, being the first king, you get to really uh, plow some new ground. You get to set some new standards. You get to, to <coughs> set forth the way things are going to be. And Saul being the first king, this was very important for him that, that this was new for the entire nation because they began to cry out, we want to be like everybody else. We want a king. So God said no, but the people said yes. And finally God said, have it your way. Your king is going to take your children and they're going to go to war. He's going to take 10% of this. He's going to take your crops. Basically, he's going to tax you and he's going to, to absolutely beat you to death. But they said, we don't care. We want a king. So they got a king. 
and his name is Saul. Now, when we look at Saul, Saul's legacy is a very interesting one. And I think it's one that we can learn great lessons from today. Saul's legacy begins like this. First thing I want you to write down is that Saul began very well. He began his journey. He began his legacy well. We can see this in chapters 8 and 9 where, where we find Saul in, in chapter 8. Uh, God is, uh, Israel's demanding a king and God is talking to Samuel. And, and in chapter 9, there is this search for this new man. And here's what it says in chapter 9 about Saul. It says that his, his father was a mighty man of valor. That's a good resume. He come, came from good stock. He came from a man who is a mighty man of valor in chapter 1 of verse 9. And in chapter 2, it describes... Saul, saying that Saul, Saul was a choice and handsome man, and there was not a more handsome person than he among the sons of Israel. From his shoulders and up, he was taller than any of the people. He was tall, dark, and handsome, ladies. He was something to look at. He was something you would go, yeah, let's follow him. He looks like a leader. He carried himself like a leader. Uh, in, in some respects. Well, what happens is there's some donkeys that get loose and they are trying to find these donkeys and he and a servant are out looking. And while they're out looking, there is uh, this man by the name of Samuel who, who actually comes to them as they were trying to find direction and Samuel begins to talk to him and he has this attitude that's very interesting if you look in chapter 9 in verse 21. Saul rejoiced, am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel and my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then do you speak to me this way? He was trying to figure out why would a prophet come to him and help him with this whole donkey situation. And why would a prophet even come and be talking to him? Because he's the least. He comes from a, a, a really small family. He's insignificant. He's beginning with this attitude of who am I that God would do something for me? And so he's beginning with this humble attitude and this mindset that God, you are great and, and I'm, just, I'm just me. So as we progress on, Saul becomes king, he is anointed king, and then something begins to happen. Saul began feeling like he was unqualified, and unfortunately, he proved himself to be that way. As his, his story continues, because there is this thing that began to happen, it's the word erosion. Let me tell you, erosion happens and it's quiet, it's not loud, it's subtle, and it's slow, and it's not fast. Erosion that begins to happen within our hearts and in our minds isn't something that's going to just flail its arm and write it in neon letters. Erosion began to happen in Saul's heart and mind. There was a time when, when he was to wait seven days and then Samuel was going to show up and they were going to offer up a sacrifice. Well, Saul waited seven days. And you know what he did? He said, ah, just, just give me that ephod. I'm going to offer up the sacrifice. Samuel's not here. There was a sacrifice that was offered. That's a good thing, right? But what Saul did was he overstepped the boundaries. He disobeyed God. He offered up a sacrifice that should have been offered by Samuel. So he was impatient. That impatience led to disobedience, which began to really show a pattern in Saul's life. He all, there was one time when there was this battle going on and he was trying to defeat the enemy and he issued a decree. He said, 
No man shall have nothing to eat. Any man that has something to eat before we defeat the enemy will be killed. Guess what happened? His son didn't hear the decree. His own son went out, found some honey, because all the men were exhausted and tired. They ate some honey, and then uh, Jonathan went and slew a bunch of the enemies. And so Saul had a problem. Now I've issued a decree. What am I going to do with my son? Good news is he did not kill his son. But there again, he was not thinking through the situation. He began to think, I'm in charge. You're going to do what I said. The pride began to grow in his life. And then Samuel was getting a little disheartened with this story of Saul and how he began well, but then he began to slip and there began to be this erosion in his life. And Samuel came to him and said, God has said that you need to go defeat the enemy. There should not be one survivor, not even the animals. Everything should die. Well, all of a sudden, the king comes back home. He did not kill the king. He brought the king back with him. And they brought back the choices of lambs and the cows and the livestock. And so Samuel's asking, what is this that I hear? And Saul says, hey, we're going to offer this to God. These are the choices. We're going to offer them up to God. That sounds like a good idea, right? But in their good idea, in his good idea, he was disobeying God because God said, kill everything. See, what we, we often don't recognize is by keeping the other king alive, he was, he was carrying him around like a trophy to say, look at me. Then along comes this, these Philistines and this great big huge Philistine called Goliath. And when you read the story of Saul and Goliath, you know what you find? The king is in his tent and all the men who are fighting are on the front line, scared to death. They are taking their cues from the king. Saul has got to a point where it's all about me, but I am scared to death. I'm not going to lead my troops anymore. I don't trust God. I don't have faith. I'm going to do it my way. And he began well, but as time went on, he began to just erode spiritually. And so God anoints a man by the name of David. David is the one who comes and he's just a little boy and he walks into the camp and he's like, what is going on? You guys are afraid of him? God's much bigger than him. And so David steps in and it's got the, the best line in all of Scripture, I think, when David looks at Goliath and says, look, today, this day, God will deliver you into my hand and I'm going to cut off your head and all those that are behind you are going to be fed to the birds. And David didn't have a knife. So what David was saying, he just had a sling and some rocks. He was telling Goliath, look, not only am I going to beat you, but I'm going to kill you. I'm going to cut off your head with your own sword. Now that's some smack talk right there. That's some faith. To walk up and say, this is what God's going to do. He's going to deliver you into my hands this day. But now this contrast begins to happen between David and Saul. Saul is trusting in himself, but David is trusting in the Lord. He has faith in God. Even though David is anointed king, he does not use that anointing in a way to rule over people. Even though he knows God has done something special to me in my life, he never steps up and says, I deserve this. David respected the king. And as a matter of fact, Saul even began to chase after David because he knew there was something going on. 
And when Saul figured out that David was the one who would be next to be king, he sought to kill David. He would throw spears at David. He chased David. He did everything he could. He even took away the wife that he had given David that David loved very much and gave her to another man. Saul was wanting to destroy this man named David who was God's anointed one because Saul had lost his sight and his vision. He had become eroded spiritually. Now here's, here's what happens. Saul's story began well, but Saul's story became a tragedy of life. It became a tragedy, a story of tragedy, because he began his life going, well, I just come from the smallest of the smallest tribes, and, and who am I that you'd speak to me, and now I'm king. And, and it began to go to his head. Sometimes the worst thing that can happen is success. If we're not ready for it, success can mess us up. So sometimes we're praying that God will do something great in our life, that God will provide, God will do, God will, God will. And God knows we're not ready for it. And then we get mad at God because he don't deliver. But it could be that we're not ready for that success. Saul found success to be his greatest enemy. And he began to erode away at who he could be if he had trusted in God. Saul listened to himself rather than listening to God. Saul may may have been really tall and he may have been good looking, but in God's eyes, he was small. He was not as big as he thought he was. Saul faced death the way he faced life. He took matters into his own hands. At the end of 1 Samuel, we find the death of Saul. David had opportunities to kill Saul, to to capture Saul, and David always took the high road. Can I tell you something? Those who take the high road are closer to God than those that don't. Because doing the right thing in God's eyes is always better than doing the right thing in man's eyes. You may deserve it. it, it may be your right. But if God says no, you better not do it. Because you, you, you would be better off to have the support of God Himself than the support of men around you. Because I'd rather have God get my back than any person. Because people will disappoint us, people will turn their back on us. But David kept his faith in God the whole time and respected Saul. See, what happens in our life, it's not simply a matter of we live our life and it's a blaring obvious that, that our life is, is out of whack and it's out of control and we're messed up spiritually inside. Sometimes it's very subtle and it slowly happens. We feel like God is at a distance in our life. He's not as close as he used to be. It seems like when we try to pray or read, we just don't hear from him. We, we, we find ourselves struggling and we know there's something but we can't put our finger on it. God seems to be at a distance. Our, our life, it seems like every time we turn around, we're overwhelmed. We're overwhelmed with everything that happens. We're taken back when stuff doesn't go our way. We react in ways that are not godly. We feel constantly stressed. We feel like we're always rushed and hurried. We feel like that there's just no way to escape. Those are symptoms. Symptoms that there may be an erosion that's taking place in your life. Times when God's Word goes neglected for days, for weeks. Church, 
Everything gets in the way. Everything is more important than Bible study and worship and God's people. I want to build my idols. I want to build my bank account. I want to have that great car. I mean, when people look at me, they need to see that I'm successful. When I look at people and I see they have nice cars, you know what I see? Debt and high insurance. So not everybody sees you successful. When we look at our life, it must be guided by God's principles, not our own. God's principles will make a difference in our life, not just externally, but internally more than we can ever imagine. And when we mess up that priority, we've messed up. Here's the, the serious truth for today. Here's the serious truth I don't want you to miss, and that is this. Take God seriously. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, take God seriously. I only heard one person say it like you're trying to really drive home a point and make it real. Tell somebody to take God seriously. <laughs> I heard you, Alex, all the way over here. I think Christian got it. Take God seriously. We find that Scripture in Jesus Himself makes it very clear. John chapter 50, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Those who keep my commandments love me. Those who place God's will above their own love God. Those who do not, Scripture says that you don't love God. You know, there's a lot of things in our life that's important though, isn't there? I mean, Saul had important things that he needed to do. Saul, Saul had things like running an entire country. That's pressure. Saul had to take care of a family. Saul had to take care of warriors. Saul had, to, Saul had to do a lot of things. And can I tell you what happened? They got in the way of God being taken serious. When God said kill everything, God did not mean whatever you think everything roughly means. God meant everything. Samuel looks at Saul and says, Obedience is better than sacrifice. The Word of God is filled with this phrase, Fear the Lord your God. There's even scriptures that whenever Saul was becoming king, where Samuel would look at him and, and he would say to him, You need to follow God. You need to do what the Lord says. When you do, when, if you will not listen to the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the command of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your fathers. We must take God seriously. This is not a game. This is not a social club. This is not an hour that we come to check off a box to say, okay, I've gone to church, now everything will be fine. We have to take God seriously. Because there's one thing you'll never get away from, and no, it's not paying taxes. You'll never get away from the presence of God. No matter what your decision or how you feel or where you are in your life, God is still present there. Whether you think He is or whether he, you think He's not, God is still present and He's doing something. He's wanting to draw you to Himself so that you can become that which you never thought you would become. 
We must take God seriously. I tell you, there's, there's one person I take very serious in my life. When she speaks, I better listen. Some of you know who it is, right? It's my daughter, Jayanna. No. <laughs> it's my wife, Jane. As a husband, if I never took my wife serious when she talked to me, Miss Jean, what kind of marriage would I have? It wouldn't be much of one, would it? We take our spouses and our children more serious than we do God Himself. We must be careful of that. God must be the one that we take more serious than any other. What does it mean to live in God's kingdom, one, one author says? God's agenda is your agenda. God's will is your will. What God cares about you, you care about. Is God's will your will right now in your life? Or is it just doing the things and trying to get ahead or trying to get a handle on your life? Let me tell you, the devil wants you to believe that you can get a handle on your life and then, then you, you can focus back on God. That's what Satan wants you to grab hold of and to walk forward with. But can I tell you, that is a lie. Grab hold of God first and let Him help you get your life in order. That's what needs to happen. That will make the difference. Take God seriously. We go to church for many reasons. But if our life outside this room does not reflect the faith we profess inside this room, inside this building, then what we're doing is religion. What we're doing is offering a sacrifice that means nothing to God. We must, we have to take God seriously. It's important to be here and to worship God together with others when you can, when you cannot, and, and, and you got these reasons why you cannot be here. That's understandable. But listen, you, we have to take God serious, and we, He has to be taken seriously in our lives so that when we step out of this room, that what we do each and every day, whether we're at a ball game or whether we're in the store or driving down the road by ourselves, what we do alone is what we'll do in public oftentimes. We have to take God seriously 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. Saul did not do that. Saul did not take God seriously. He took what he thought more, as more important. So where does God put you in his life? Are you first in God for God? Well, let me ask you. Does God put you first? John 4.19 says that He loved us because we, we love Him because He first loved us. We love God because He first loved us. He loves us first. He redeemed us with His firstborn and onlyborn Son. He did not use apostles. He did not use angels. He did not even use the Bible. He gave us His best gift, gift His first and only. What day of the week did Jesus raise from the dead? First day of the week. What day of the week did Jesus ascend into heaven? First day of the week. When He looks at us, you know what He sees? The number one. Because you're important to Him. 
Yes, there are multiple people in this room. There are multiple people in this world who know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But when God looks at us, He loves us. We are a priority. We should love Him back the same. We need to take God seriously. So what do I do? What must I do to to take this mess that's inside of me and not leave a legacy like Saul did where I begin well and then I finish in tragedy? What do I need to do? Well, let me tell you. You need to guard the priority of God in your life. You've got to guard it. Because if you don't guard it, it will be taken away. There will be things that's going to come along. And it's not going to be big and, and, and uh, boisterous things. It's going to be those small little things. It's going to be one more thing on the calendar. It's going to be one more text message. It's going to be one more phone call. It's going to be one more thing for you to do because you're going to get so busy that God is going to begin to just drop in priority in your life. And you're going to say, oh, God's number one in my life. When, when's the last time you prayed? Well, I did this morning when I was driving down 985 and that guy cut me off. Boy, I was praying for him right then and there. Where is God in your life? Where are your priorities? Oftentimes, a life that is a mess is a symptom of a life that's got messed up priorities. And I am here to tell you, this is not gray. This is black and white. Your first part, priority needs to be God Himself. That needs to be number one. Because once that is correct, and that's in the first place, everything else is going to fall into place. Your marriage... You being a husband, you being a father, you being a grandfather, you being a grandmother. Things are going to begin to happen. It's going to sort out things. You're going to find yourself with energy and motivation and wisdom. And you're going to find yourself trying to figure out how to dig out of the hole that you've got yourself into. Because when God is placed as a priority and you don't let other things get in the way, you guard it and you guard it with a ferocity that there is nothing going to get in the way of this, I guarantee you. God being at that level of priority will make a difference in your life. Maybe you're sitting there today and you're going, you know, uh, God being a priority has slipped a little bit because I've been busy and this has been going on, that's been going on. Maybe today it's just a reminder for you that you need to just readjust a little bit and step back and and do a little shuffling and, and make sure God is that priority. Make God your first priority and not your last resort. Don't let Him be a spare tire or a 911 call, let him be the priority in your life. Tony Evans said, When you do not put God first, you are missing out on all the benefits and blessings of the king and his kingdom. One man said that there's one thing that God does not like, and that is being second place in our hearts. That will absolutely, that will absolutely stir God to move in our life in a way that He can become first again. God should be first. We must take Him seriously. Today, you, you may be here and maybe you have come to a place where, yes, Pastor, my life is a mess. I don't know how to fix it. I don't know how to get things straight. I, I, I feel like inside I am just absolutely a bowl of spaghetti. 
Maybe it's because God is not a priority in your life. Maybe it's because you've never began that relationship, but rather you've been just been doing religion all of your life. You've been coming to church. You've been saying, this is just what I do. I'll read my Bible in the morning, read a devotion, and I'm good to go. But the reality is, is you've never begun a relationship with Jesus Christ. Can I tell you today, you must have a relationship and not a religion. We have all messed up and we have all sinned. But in the grand scheme of things, without a relationship, you'll never understand the blessings of God at the level He wants to bless you. He wants to make you in His image like Jesus Christ. And the only way that can happen is for you to accept Jesus Christ. You must begin a relationship with Jesus. Is it complicated, Pastor? I, my life is a mess. I... I know I'll just start coming to church more. I'll start reading my Bible more. That's not, that's not what's going to make the relationship. The relationship is a complete surrender saying, God, I need you to be first priority in my life. I turn my life over to you. And you ask him to forgive you and take over your life. Be first, God. Forgive me. I've messed up. I have sinned. I have done the wrong things. Forgive me and take over my life. And then God becomes that priority and you begin a relationship with him. Will you bow your heads and pray with me today? Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. For the hope that your word can give us. Lord, I pray today that no one here, no one here will have a legacy like Saul. That they began well, but yet things began to erode and they never did anything about it, even when they were warned. Father, Samuel warned Saul over and over. said, Saul, you look out. But Saul just turned his ear and said, I know better. I know what's better than you do. Father, may no one in this room, no one listening to this message, may no one ever be at that place where they think they know better than God. Lord, because you just want to love. You want to extend that grace and mercy that's come from Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. So Lord, I pray today. Father, for whoever does not know you, who, those who do not have a relationship with you, that today will be the day that you deal with their hearts and they will accept you. They will ask you to forgive them and take over their life. Father, I ask today for those whose life is a mess and they know that, Father, they haven't put you as a priority. I pray, God, that you'll help them, Lord, make you a priority in their life, that they will take you seriously. Father, I do want to lift up those whose life is a mess and they do have you as a priority. And they are pursuing you with their whole heart. Father, I pray that you will encourage them that they're on the right path. And that you're going to do great things in their life that they've never imagined. Lord, encourage them. Lord, let us leave this place today not with, with an attitude that Oh, that was just a service. I've gone to church. But may we leave today taking you more seriously than when we walk through the doors. For that will make the greatest difference in our life and those around us. So, Father, you take this message today in these words. And may each individual do something with it today for them. Lord, we pray these things in the mighty, powerful name of Jesus Christ. We pray these things. Amen.